Last week, you, if you were here, you saw I, I pulled out glasses. I finally reached that point where I'm, I'm so old that I can't read uh, my scripture very well, especially in this, this poor lighting. And so this morning, I had this, this gift. Stucky and, and John Fregon got me this, this Bible. It's not large print. It's super large print. You can probably read it from where you're sitting right now. Um, it's what? Eight guys went in it? Oh, okay. Oh, there's a note in here. I need to find that. Oh, okay. I'm not going to read that right now, though. <laughs> um, so I don't know. Wow, that's really big now. I'm going to go without the glasses and the big passage today when we get to it. But uh, So if you will, grab your Bibles, right? We're going to seek the good of our souls this morning, and we're going to do so by opening God's Word and drinking deeply from this refreshing spring. Uh, and so find your way over to Luke chapter 23 this morning. And in case you, you missed last week, kind of like to get you caught up, right? In case you just need a reminder, uh, after <clears throat> arresting our, our Lord, the Jewish leaders had um, Jesus examined by the previous high priest, a guy named Annas, uh, and then by the current high priest, a guy named Caiaphas. And after that, the, uh, the highest Jewish court, the Sanhedrin, puts Jesus on this trial uh, for right as day breaks, and they falsely declare him a blasphemy. I say falsely because uh, that's what they declare him guilty of, blasphemy, but you can't be God and, uh, you know, for claiming to be the Christ, but he really is the Christ, therefore it's not blasphemy. Now, since the, the Jewish government didn't have the legal authority to administer capital punishment in this situation, uh, they bring Jesus to Pontius Pilate. This guy is the governor of the region. He has the, the ability to actually put someone to death uh, by death pen- penalty. Now, now, Pilate just wants this problem to go away, these angry people to stop being angry, people to calm down. Uh, and, and he considers the accusations that they bring uh, which are curiously not blasphemy, which they found him guilty of before, uh, but rather misleading the people, forbidding Jews from paying the tribute tax to the Roman government, uh, and for claiming to be the Christ, rather a, a king, right? And, and all this adds up to this accusation of treason. That's what he's being accused of. Now, Pilate declared Jesus innocent and sends him over to uh, another Roman leader named Herod, who also declares Jesus innocent of all these accusations. And then finally, mockingly, Herod dresses Jesus up as a king in these fancy clothes and has him sent back over to Pilate, you know, dressed up like the king he's been accused of, uh, of claiming to be. And, um, and so this problem of what to do with Jesus continues here, Right. Um, there's still all these angry people, angry Jewish leaders, and Pilate has to deal with this. <clears throat> and so let's, let's read God's word beginning in uh, chapter 23, verse, verse 13. <clears throat> this is really big text here. Uh, Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people. And he said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading, peop- misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. 
But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their, vo- their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but delivered Jesus over to their will. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have given your word to your people with a purpose. Grant this morning through the Holy Spirit that we might not only understand this passage intellectually, but that it would move us to think different, to live different, to be different, to be more aware of the grace that we have received in in the gospel. It's in the holy name of Jesus, our Savior, that we pray. Amen. So don't forget what's, what's going on right now. It's the Passover celebration in the city of Jerusalem, major city. It's full of people. There are festivities going on. And so Governor Pilate wants this issue of Jesus done with, wants it finished off, right? And so right off the bat, we, we see that Pilate has an idea. This is how we're going to deal with this, right? Like before, he gathers the priest, the chief priest. He also gathers the, the other Jewish leaders. And, and now Pilate also invites this, this other group, a new group. He invites the people, right? That's just a big word, the people. Uh, because surely, if, if the people, if the crowds, if the general population of, of the Jewish people see what's going on, surely the average person is going to be reasonable here, even if these leaders are not. And once everyone is gathered, Pilate shouted to them saying, you, you brought Jesus to me, right? Accusing him of misleading the people. And, and then he goes on, right? Well, I examined him. I do not find any guilt, anything you accused him of, any of your charges to be legit. He is innocent of this. And then he adds, you know what? Herod also declared this man Jesus innocent, and he has sent him back to us, and that's where we're at. He, he then says, look, right? He's, he's using that word the way we sometimes use that word or the way we sometimes say, you know, listen. Like, I really want you to pay attention to what, what's going to come out of my mouth next, the next statement. Really, just, just listen. So he says, look, nothing deserving death has been done by him, by Jesus. How fitting it is that our, our Lord is here declared blameless by those who have examined him. And, and since he's about to, and, and I say that just because he's about to be, lay down his life as a, as a sacrifice, right? As a, a perfect sacrifice. It's as 1 Peter 1.19 says, right? That, that Jesus is like a lamb without blemish, without spot, a perfect, perfect sacrifice. And, and so finally, Pilate offers a compromise. He, he offers this unjust olive branch to the Jewish crowd saying, I, I will therefore punish and release him. In other words, I I know you want to see something done. I know he's upset you. I know it's bothered you. There's something going on here. Uh, You're clearly angry. I will punish him for causing this problem. But but then he goes free because he does not deserve death. He's innocent. And you and I know this. Even this is absolute injustice injustice because he is innocent. Now, I I suppose Pilate thought they'd respond something like, okay, yeah, that sounds reasonable. That's fair. Uh, you do that, and we're just going to go celebrate the Passover now? That sound good? Uh, but, but you and I know, right? We, we all know you, you can't reason with angry crowds any more than you can reason with crazy. You just can't. And, and so at this point, you might notice something odd in your Bibles. Uh, I don't know if it, tell me if it stood out to you. No, don't tell me right now. Anyway, after verse 16, right, it's, it's like Einstein in the DeLorean. It just skips forward to 18. You don't see 17 at all. Uh, so what happened to 17? Where is it? Why is it not in our Bibles? See, we, we, we don't, 
have the very first copy of, of the Gospel of Luke, right? We don't have the version that is written in Luke's actual handwriting uh, at this point because that was 2,000 years ago. What we do have are handwritten copies that are called manuscripts or codexes, right? So you see, until the, the printing presses, uh, the, these manuscripts were, were hand-copied over and over, and they would do it again. Many of these were distributed. Many of them were kept in the same place just to make sure there were many copies of this. Now, as of this point of history, right, more of these keep getting dug up and discovered places over the years, but as of this point, there are 5,800 New Testament manuscripts that are in the original language, which is Greek. Uh, there's also 10,000 of them in, in Latin, uh, and 10,000 more of them that are in various other languages that were translated in, at way back when. Uh, th these manuscripts are overwhelmingly the exact same word for word, but there are some variations. Uh, none of these variations change history. None of these variations are, are changing theology. Now, if you've got the, the ESV Bible, and probably any Bible, but certainly in the ESV, you can see in the footnotes that verse 17 originally said this, speaking of Pilate, said, <clears throat> now he was obliged to release one man to them at the festival. The, the reason that's, that's not in your Bible today is that after considering all the manuscripts, it was discovered that this verse wasn't showing up in the, mo in the oldest ones. For some reason, it, it wasn't there, and, and, right? So they weren't seeing it. Uh, and so is this a big deal? It's, it's really not. And I know at first it kind of seems like that is a big deal, but it's really not. Uh, Mark 15.6, Matthew 27.15, to give you the exact same information. Uh, and, and this is a guess, you know, admittedly a guess. We can't know for sure, but most likely someone copying the manuscript had the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Matthew in mind, and thought this is helpful information, and he writes it in there, he adds it into the Gospel of Luke here, and that's, that's how it got there. Now, remember, too, that the verse numbers were, were added in the 16th century. We talked about that, I don't know, a couple months ago. Um, and, and so rather than renumbering everything and like, well, what year is your Bible? Mine, you know, that's 16 for me, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, 17's just, just brought out right there. And you probably can read it anytime you want at the bottom of your Bible. So anyway, I, I tell you that. I explain that so you know when you see that that's really not a, a big deal. It just, it isn't. Um, so now let's look at verse 18 <clears throat> where it picks up. Here we see how the people, a.k.a. the chief priest, the Jewish rulers, and the crowd of Jewish people actually respond to this compromise of Pilate, right? Not, um, you know, he says, I'll, I'll punish Jesus, but then I'm releasing him because, because he's innocent. And, and how do they respond? Not well. Not well at all, right? They're, they are shouting away with this man and release Barabbas. Give us Barabbas, not this Jesus. And with this, it kind of makes sense, right, immediately even, right, why someone added in verse 17, because if, if you don't already know, you're, you're probably thinking, well, who's Barabbas, and uh, why would we release him, and what's this have to do with Jesus, right? The, the simple answer, which we know, again, from Mark and Matthew, is that th there was this strange tradition uh, where uh, the Roman governor at Passover would release one prisoner, one Jewish prisoner, uh, from prison at, at, at that time. Now, again, we can only guess why. Most people believe it's, it's a symbolically actually tied to the Passover. Israel is being set free from slavery in Egypt, uh, and thus a Jewish citizen is set free from a Roman jail. Uh, it makes sense. I can see how that might be, but uh, again, that's conjecture. We don't know for sure why. What we do know is that this practice actually happened. Uh, so it seems that Pilate's <clears throat> plan here is, is that he offers the release of Jesus <clears throat> or, right, Jesus or someone who is this notoriously 
bad man. And, and the idea is if I give you these two options, surely you're going to choose uh, Jesus, right? Um, there, there's this <clears throat> comedian I, I watched when I was a teenager back in the, the 90s, right? The previous millennium. Uh, and he had this bit uh, about how soft the Church of England was. And, and he goes off on how the Spanish Inquisition just wouldn't have worked in England. And he kind of sets us up by <clears throat> pretending that some criminal has, you know, been called in for the, the Inquisition in England. Uh, and the English leader demandingly asked, the, asked this question, cake or death? Th those are the options, right? And the criminal's like, oh, cake, please? Uh, and, and then he asked the next guy, you, cake or death? And he says, uh, that'll be cake for me too. Uh, and then the Inquisitor says, we're going to run out of cake at this rate, right? Because it's such an obvious thing. That, that's the point. Cake or death, it, it should be such an incredibly easy decision to make. And, and that's the thing that's going on here, that he's, he's putting these two people up there, you know, a, a notoriously bad criminal. Uh, do you want Jesus or Barabbas? Which one of you do you want to set free? And maybe you don't know a lot about him yet, but, but consider these, these two men that Pilate offers to relief. On the, on the one hand, there's, there's Jesus, right? Even from their perspective, without all the things that are also true about Jesus, right? He healed people from disease. He set them free from, from demon possession. He harmed no one. Um, he's literally perfect, right? Uh, he's been through two trials and been found innocent in both of these trials. And, and then on the other hand, you, you have Barabbas, right? His, his name literally means uh, Bar, son of, and uh, Abbas, Abba, like Abba Father, meaning father. Uh, and so son of the father. Now, Barabbas is, is guilty of actually stirring up an insurrection. Uh, he is guilty of actual murder. Uh, and so surely the, the priest, the, the crowd, will last for the release of Barabbas. But, but look at verse 18. What, what do they actually choose? They're, they're crying out. They're, they're shouting, speaking of Jesus, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. David Gooding says of this situation, <clears throat> the situation was beginning to become crazy. Here, here were priests demanding the execution of Jesus uh, on the false grounds that he was attempting to overthrow the political authorities. And yet these very priests would not themselves bow to the political authorities. And what is more, they are calling for the release of a known political insurrectionist who in, re in a recent civil disturbance in the city had committed murder. Barabbas himself surely thought there's no chance this crowd chooses me over that guy. You, you can imagine how shocked he must have been to hear the crowd calling out his name. Me? Even he would have known this. Verse 20, Pilate again, again, right? Again, Pilate keeps trying to convince them um, to release Jesus, but the people, the Jews, the covenant people of God, they just keep shouting this, crucify, crucify him. Over and over again, and it's hard to get your head, but just a massive crowd of people squeezed together, fists raised, crucify him, crucify him. You see, criminals at this time could receive two methods of capital punishment. There were two ways to receive the penalty, a death penalty. Uh, the more general way was, was beheading. It was more private, just kind of get it over with. Uh, the, the more gruesome manner was to be crucified, to be nailed to a cross, uh, by your hands, your, your feet. Uh, it was a slow, painful death of asphyxiation. The, the crosses were, were placed along the path where many citizens would pass by and, and, and witness these criminals dying. In our, our modern day, it'd be maybe along one of our highways, somewhere in Aggieville, somewhere where a lot of people are coming by. 
Uh, and, and they wanted to see it, right? Because this crucifixion is designed to be a deterrent. And uh, for others, right, who, who maybe thought, you know what, uh, maybe I will still. Maybe I'll be a part of this insurrection, whatever it is, so that they would, they would see men suffering in agony and, and think to themselves, whatever that guy did, I'm not going to do because I don't want to end up on the cross like that guy. And, and so Pilate, a, a third time, right, now again tries to persuade the crowd saying, why? Why? crucify this man Jesus what what evil has he done like we saw last week their their shouting becomes more urgent meaning more demanding more violent more angry Pilate is most likely fearing an all-out riot at this point and 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 here now is the injustice of all injustices Pilate knows Jesus is innocent But these people are raging, these people are screaming, and so Pilate abandons justice and just gives them what they want. He agrees to crucify an innocent man, and he releases from prison a guilty man, a man who's on death row, Barabbas, a man who's guilty of insurrection and murder. I mean, what we see here is Barabbas and Jesus switch places. And while Luke and John never mention it, prior to crucifixion, all prisoners um, were, you know, and so Jesus was. Jesus was first beaten, right? Tied to a pole and and beaten. And part of that beaten is with this leather whip where they took pieces of metal, um, pieces of bone that were kind of twisted into it. And so it would hit and stick and you'd rip it out, right? And it would make just ripping off flesh, ripping off skin, revealing intestines and bones even. It's just miserable. Now, you ever wonder what you would have done if you're in the crown? It's one of those things you ever kind of just let your mind think about. I mean, and honestly, it's, a, it's an incredibly uncomfortable thing to think about. You know, as you've seen Jesus led to the Sanhedrin, to Pilate, to Herod, as you've seen false accusations against Jesus, your, your Lord, as you've, you've just seen Pilate unjustly deliver Jesus to crucifixion, do you, do you ever find yourself just rooting for Jesus to be set free? If you were in the crowd, right, would you be turning to those around you, trying to calm them, right? Trying to stop them from, from calling for crucifixion, trying to, to silence them in one way or another. Our sense of justice leads us to think that way. It's the right thing. You should think that way. Because any unbiased person can see that Jesus is innocent of all these charges and therefore Jesus ought to be released. Our commitment to justice compels us to root for Jesus here. But that's not really what we want, is it? Uh, Because like me, you know that you're a sinner. You understand what Jesus is doing. And so we are also hoping for the injustice in this situation on some level because we need Jesus to be crucified. We don't want it, but we need Jesus to be crucified. And that thought, right, that's uncomfortable. We we need this because it's Jesus' death on the cross that makes atonement for my sin, atonement for your sin happen. It's his sacrificial death that reconciles us to God as we, by grace through faith, trust in Jesus. And so while we can can see that Jesus deserves to be set free, we we also don't really want that, do we? We begin to understand that 
that this unjust trial, this crucifixion of Jesus, that this is also the sovereign will of God. And that's weird to us too. Ever since Satan entered into Judas, he's executing his own plan at the same time, unbeknownst to Satan, this is really the eternal plan of the Holy Trinity. We just read in verse 25 that Pilate gave Jesus over to the will of the people, right? That's their will. That's their desire. But we also know from the prophecy in Isaiah 53.10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. God's eternal plan does not absolve Judas or Pilate or Herod or priests or the people, right? They, they are guilty before God for the horrid injustice they partake in. And yet it's all part of what God's doing for the redemption of his people. Church, I, I want you to learn here is that while Satan and so many others meant this for evil, God means it for good. God means it for our redemption. God means it for his own glory. Now let me ask you, who do you relate to in this fuller story that we've been seeing really since we took a break before summer? Are you like Peter who's publicly denying your Savior, paralyzed by fear of what others will think of you and your relationship to him? Are you like the, the Jewish leaders who reject Jesus for the sake of their own autonomy, their own sense of, of power and prestige, the threat to the way of life they, they, they have? Or are you like Pilate, lacking boldness and confidence to do what's right, even though you know it? Are you like Herod, showing interest in some aspects of Jesus, but, but ultimately in the end would prefer just to mock him, because that's better than taking him serious? Are you, are you like the crowds who, who want only whatever everyone else around you wants? Oh, we want him crucified. Who are you in this story? We don't always have to ask that of the passage, but this is a fair place to ask that because, Christian, the, the truth is, while, while you might have similar leanings to all those who acted out against Jesus in all the things they did, you are most like the one person we haven't even considered here. Who am I talking about? You and me, we are Barabbas. Just like Barabbas, we are everything that Jesus is not. Namely, we are absolutely, without a doubt, guilty sinners. And our sin has imprisoned us, and as sinners, we are awaiting death, and after that, eternal condemnation. We can do nothing legally to defend ourselves here. There's no way to escape and just outrun this in any way. It's too late to undo our crimes. We deserve death, judgment, and hell. Truly deserve it. Now, it's easy to forget as Christians sometimes, right? Because you're seeing other people do some crazy stuff out in the world. You're watching this happen, and you start to think we are pretty good people. But the truth is we deserve death, judgment, and hell. Truly deserve it. And yet, all that Barabbas has earned, all that he rightly has coming to him, <clears throat> that he absolutely deserves, is changed in an instant when he and Jesus switch places. Jesus literally dies in the place of Barabbas. The guilt of Barabbas is applied to Jesus, while the innocent of Jesus, innocence of Jesus is applied to Barabbas, and he is set free. Isn't this a picture of, of what we know to be true of the gospel, what we read in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him, that's Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
Now, we don't know what happened to Barabbas, right? We don't know if he later follows Jesus passionately, uh, you know, from this point on. That, that's not the point, right? Here in, is, here in the actual death of Jesus is, is, I believe, the best illustration of the gospel, right? And this exchange is a picture of the grace that God has for us in Jesus. Let me read you the way Philip Ryken puts it. He says, like Barabbas, we were dead in our sins and doomed to die. But an exchange has taken place in which Jesus takes our place so that we can take his. The innocent one is condemned to die in our place. The true son of the father takes upon himself the guilt of all of our sin and therefore is condemned to suffer the wrath of God. He does this by dying on the cross, but, uh, but at the same time his crucifixion is our justification, his condemnation is our pardon, and his bondage, bondage is our release. This is the gospel, Jesus dying in our place as our substitute, suffering the death that we deserve. Furthermore, what did Barabbas contribute to his freedom here? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. He's powerless, he's weak, he's guilty, he passively receives mercy from God. His life was spared only because Jesus died in his place. Can, can, can you imagine what it must have felt like to be Barabbas in this thing, in this moment? I mean, try to think about that. It, it might help you better understand what Jesus has done for you in the gospel, right? You are a criminal. You've done it. You know you're guilty. You know they know you're guilty. You, you know the time of your execution is approaching, and you sit in prison with these thoughts. That's what's to come. That's what's running through your mind. But then you learn that some guy named Jesus is going to receive your execution. You realize you're not going to die after all. And what's more, you're being set absolutely free. You're innocent. All that guilt is done. You're just set free. You can go home. For Barabbas, it is pure, overwhelming grace. And like I said, we have no clue what happened to Barabbas. I mean, I, I hope that his whole life was changed, that, that he believes in Christ afterwards, that that's what his life's about. And in fact, I, I don't, I, we don't know, but I want to know. That is on my list, right? Right up there on my list of things I want to ask and find out about in eternity, right after Adam and Eve have belly buttons because they weren't born, right? It's high up there on this list of things I want to know. But we don't know. Um, we don't know. But, but each one of us is, is like Barabbas. If your faith is in Christ, you have received the grace of God. Jesus has died in your place. Jesus has set you free. You have been set free. And so while we don't know the rest of Barabbas' story, how's your story going? What's your life look like now? What have you done with the good news of God's grace and mercy to you? What are you, what are you doing with the freedom from sin that you have? It's a good time to evaluate, right? Have you gone back to your old ways? Are you the same person you'd be without Jesus, without this freedom in Christ? Or are you walking in the newness of life? Because you can be, should be. Going forward, let's remember what, what Jesus has done for us. He, in my place, counted guilty for my sin. I, in his place, counted as one who is innocent and now righteous before God. And so let us go forward with relief, with gratitude, with changed hearts and a, a new way of life. Let us live for the glory of the one who has actually truly died for us. 
And let us rest in the grace of God. This is no small thing. I, I mean, I say that, right? What's the application of this? And, and, and the biggest application of a passage like this is for you to really know the grace of God, to remember it again. We, we just have this general entitlement where we forget just what has been done for us. So know it, feel it, remember it today, remember it always. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in so many ways, we are Barabbas, guilty of cosmic treason, guilty of sin within our hearts and in our actions, guilty through and through, and the only reason we are not held eternally accountable for our sin is because our penalty was laid upon our merciful Savior, upon Jesus, who received the punishment that I have earned and deserved, received the wrath that should have been poured out on me. Lord, don't let us walk away today without a renewed sense of the depth of the grace that we have received in the gospel. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.